0: Okay, we'd like to welcome you to our Bible study for July 22nd, 2007. This is part one for today. And we're going to be discussing a couple, few different topics today within this first part. The first one I want to go over is a news bulletin I have received from the National Council of Churches. This is in America. This is the National Council of Churches, okay? Okay. I had a uh, person email me this after I had put up the uh, teaching last week on Catholicism and all the things the Pope is doing and how he's bringing back the office of Inquisition and how he's saying the Catholic Church is the only one true church and these types of things. Well, this is just further confirmation of that. The National Council of Churches uh, in America, they, they listed this news bulletin. And it's entitled, The Vatican Statement on the Doctrine on the Church Provides a Historic Context for NCC's Ober- Oberlin Conference. Now, you have to kind of bear with me a little bit, but I think it's the it's the essence of what they're saying here is what I really want to hit hit on today. It says, New York City, this was an announcement they made July 11th, the Vatican Statement on the Doctrine of Church provides another historical context for the 50th anniversary conference of the National Councils of Churches of Faith and Order Commission. Evidently, 50 years ago, they had a uh, conference which was called the National Council of Churches Faith and Order Commission in Oberlin, Ohio. And this was this historic event for this National Council of Churches. It goes on to say, the Vatican Statement released Tuesday reaffirmed that the Catholic Church is the one true Church, even if elements of truth can be found in separated churches and communities, such as Protestant and Orthodox churches. I, I couldn't believe when I read this statement what I was reading, because this is a this is an organization uh, that, yes, I'm not going to say they're they're not in unity with the Catholics, but they're not Catholic, per se. They're the National Councils of Churches for, for America. And they've come out and made this unbelievable statement that what the Vatican said reaffirmed that the Catholic Church is the one true Church. I, I was I was floored. I mean, what Bible are these people reading? And we're going to go on, we're we're going to look at this a lot further today. But to actually have what we would term as Protestant churches coming out and saying that the Catholic Church, yes, is the one true church. Which is essentially, this is a Protestant organization we're talking about here. National Council of Churches. That, That is incomprehensible to me. But then again, the Bible predicted it was going to be this way. The Bible said that, you know, the churches would be lukewarm, evil men and seducers would wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived, that there would be a great falling away, that God would send the strong delusion that all might believe a lie, that they might all be damned. So, this is something the Bible clearly predicted was going to happen, but it's it's amazing when you see something like this, where they're not even trying to hide it anymore. Now, we know that according to the Bible... We have to have a one world, going into the seven year tribulation of the Antichrist, one world government, one world currency, one world political system, and a one world religion. Well, most likely, the Catholic Church is going to be the head of that one world religion, and all the other religions of the world are going to be amalgamated in underneath it. So this is just more proof of that actual thing coming about and happening. This article goes on to say, the staff head at, they call it NCC, which is National Council of Churches. The staff head of NCC's Faith and Order Commission responded to the Vatican Statement by calling it, quote, an opportunity of hope. Now, hold on. They just said that the Catholic Church is the only one true church. The Vatican said this via the Pope. Okay? this abominable cult that's responsible for more than 70 million deaths in the Inquisition alone, the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church where you're saved by works. Not through Jesus Christ, but you're saved by works. You're saved in in all these things that you can do. I'm going to read something here real quick. I think it's appropriate right now. How How did the Catholics think you obtained salvation? Well... They're very misguided in this, because it's not by Peter, it's not by Mary, it's not by works, it's not by the Mass, it's not by sprinkling, it's not by church attendance, it's not by tithing, it's not by Sabbath, it's not by penance, it's not by confession, it's not by last rites. It's not by purgatory, not by a rosary, not by a pilgrimage, not by law, not by poverty, not by meditation, not by catechisms, not by candles, not by holy water, not by incense, not by water baptism, not by devotion to icons. You are saved by grace, through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shall be saved in thy house. Acts 16.31 For I am the way, the truth, and life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. John 14.6 I mean, there's so many Bible verses you could give, but see, the Catholics have to do it another way. Because they are a cult. One of the, In fact, it's the largest pseudo-Christian cult on earth. And I say pseudo-Christian because a Hindu or a Buddhist, they're not claiming to be Christian. But a Catholic, they claim to be the one true Christian church. And that is why I believe they're more of a stench in God's nostrils, and more of an abomination, and more blasphemous than any of the other churches that there are. The blood of 60 to 70 million martyrs are on their hands and yet they said they did this in God's service they they said they killed and murdered show me where Jesus said go around killing and murdering people to convert them I just can't find it in the Bible I don't know I've been searching I just can't find that verse show me on you know there's so many things that they do all these things that I just mentioned it's not in the Bible anywhere Well, Jesus said for the traditions of man have made the word of God of none effect they, just, they, they did what the Pharisees and the Sadducees had done in Jesus' day, where they brought all these other man-made things into the religious system to put weights and burdens on men that they couldn't bear. But it made them feel nice and religious, and they felt like, well, look at me, I'm working my way to heaven. You can't do that. There's only one way. It's through Jesus Christ. His shed blood. His death, burial, and resurrection. There's no other way. You can't earn it. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. So, the National Council of, of Churches said that this was an opportunity of hope. This this Catholic announcement via the Vatican that said they're the only one true church. How is that an opportunity of hope? I don't get it. I just don't get it. I, I can't... It's unbelievable. So, this article goes on to say... This reaffirms that the ecumenical nature and purpose of the Second Vatican Council is still, still very much alive. Within and outside Catholic circles. They're basically calling something evil good and good evil. And what does the Bible say about that? It says, Woe unto them they call evil good and good evil. They put darkness for light and light for darkness. and put sweet for bitter and bitter for sweet. They're acting as though this is a good thing. And maybe in their eyes it is a good thing because they want to. they want to finally be a part of the mother church because see, the Protestants that came out of the Catholic Church via Martin Luther they view they, I'm sure still many view, view the Catholic Church as the mother church we want to go back into the mother church there's more prestige there's more honor, there's more whatever they feel as though there is there it's all an abomination for the pit of hell but their are viewing this is very good. It says, reaffirms the ecumenical nature. Now that word ecumenical means universal. See, what, what the Antichrist's goal is, and he's using these organizations to accomplish this, is to have a one universal church. And that's what the Catholic Church believes it is. It's the universal church. It's the church for everyone. We're the only one true church. All you others are just pretenders. We're the only way. Look at us, we've got the big buildings, we've got the idols, we've got the icons, we've got the rosary beads, we've got the priests, all the pedophile priests that are molesting all the kids. Isn't that great? I mean, the Bible says, by their fruit you shall know them. Don't you think that all these lawsuits that are being brought up against these Catholic priests, they're raping these, I mean, they've been raping these kids since they've been, you know, brought up in the Catholic Church. Many of them never said anything because they were so petrified. You could go on and on and on. I could literally probably do 20 separate lessons on the abominations committed in the Catholic Church. We're just going to mention a couple today. We're just going to mention a couple. And that's why I get so angry about this, because this organization is so wicked, so demonic, so evil. They're, they're Not only have they martyred all these people, which God never ever commanded them to do. They killed all these people during the Inquisition, tortured them in the, in the most brutal ways you could possibly imagine. Said they were doing it for God. So, and, and again, please show me this in the in the in the New Testament that we're supposed to torture our enemies to convert them. It's nowhere. They do all this and they say they do it for God. They they say, well, we we are emissaries and representatives of of Jesus, and we we have to do this. We don't have a choice, right. So, they're, they're saying here that this reaffirms the ecumenical, which means the universal, the universal nature and the, and the purpose of the Second Vatican Council. <laughs> this goes on to say, Even though this was written for Catholic theologians, says Riggs, it affords us an opportunity for more dialogue and more insight. What? Dialogue for what? The Bible says, Be ye not unequally equally yoked together with unbelievers, for what, right, for what communion hath righteousness with unrighteousness, or what concord hath Christ with Belial, Wherefore come out from among her my people and be separate saith the Lord and touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you and I will be a father unto you and you shall be my children. That's 2 Corinthians 6.14 skipping ahead to 17 and 18. We're supposed to come out from among them and be separate. Okay, period. We're not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. The Catholics are Unbelievers. Oh, well, no, they believe in Jesus, not the Jesus of the Bible. Because if they believed in the Jesus of the Bible, they would be doing what He told them to do. And it's not following some man-made religion. The Bible says, Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and that maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. See, this is what happens when you trust in man-made religion. You're trusting in some man. And the Bible says, When you do that, you bring a curse on yourself Cursed be the man that trusteth in man that maketh flesh is on And his heart departeth from the Lord See, ultimately, when you trust in a man Your heart departs from the Lord So, this is what happens When you go into the Catholic religion That is a man-made, devil-based cult It's really all it is I call it, it's, it's the largest pseudo-Christian cult on earth And it is, that's what it is it teaches some other ways. The Bible says that if you preach another gospel, by the gospel other than the gospel that's in the Bible, it says, "Let that man be accursed." It says it two times. Let him be accursed. Oh well, that's not very nice. Well, you know, I, I don't think I would go over well in most pulpits. Most preachers couldn't, couldn't. You know, they'd lose their five hundred one c three status if they started preaching this way. They'd, they'd lose too much of their congregation. They'd lose all their tithe offerings. It's always about the money. Why? Because they're hirelings. They're doing it for the money. I'm not doing this for the money. So, this is the nature of what we're talking about here. This goes on to say the Vatican clarification is only stating their own doctrine from their point of view. There are ways in which the Catholic Church understands the Church differently than those churches born out of the 16th century Reformation. So what they're trying to do now is basically they're trying to smooth this whole thing over, this this National Council of Churches. They're kind of trying to smooth it over. Yes, the Catholic Church is the one true Church. We, we acknowledge that. But, you know, we have to understand, you know, guys, and they're, and they're trying to say this or that to smooth things over. Rome is certainly not saying the door is closed on ecumenical dialogue. Like, that would matter to a, to a Christian. I want, as far as I'm concerned, I don't care if, if Rome doesn't close the door to ecumenical dialogue, to, to, to dialogue of being one a one universal church, which is what we're talking about here. I don't care what Rome's, I've already closed the door to them. I, I could care less if they have an open door to me or not. Then it says, but we see there's still a lot more to talk about. There's a lot more to discuss. Oh, yeah. There, there, there's, there would be no discussion on my part. My discussion would come in the form of what I'm doing today. Exposing this. Oh, well, that's not biblical. Well, the Bible says, Wherefore I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. This is what the Catholic Church does. By good words and fair speeches, they deceive the hearts of the simple and let me tell you something else when you become a catholic and you get indoctrinated in all this junk there's an unseen thing that's happening to you on a spiritual level you're becoming more and more and more demonically infested the more you go through catholicism the more you do the water you know if you, you do the water baptism you do the catechisms you pray your rosaries you pray to idols you do all these things that are forbidden by god there's spirits that associate themselves with, with, the, with this. And the more you come into agreement with the Catholic Church, the more those spirits influence your thought patterns, your lifestyle, and the less likely chance of you ever getting saved because you're becoming demonically infested. We talked last week about how the Catholics were, at one time during the Reformation, living side by side with the Protestants. Not not the Reformation, but the prior to the inquisition living side by side with protestants and then when they started praying this called this tridentine mass which is this catholic mass in latin and the inquisition started that these people would all of a sudden go from being nice normal people to these whipped up frenzied serial killers and they would kill and burn protestants like you wouldn't believe and do the most horrific things to them but they they acted like they were the good buddies 2 weeks ago what was going on it's called demonic possession Demonic infestation. The Bible says that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against princes, principalities, rulers of wickedness in high places. These are all spiritual things they're talking about. Demonically fallen angelic spiritual things that the Bible makes reference to. That's where our true battle is. And this is what infests Catholics. Get into a debate with a Catholic. Start to start to point out a lot of this stuff to them. Their true colors will start to show. Trust me. I've got into pe- got into it. My own grandmother barely will even talk to me because I sent her some stuff on Catholicism. she's a good Catholic. She goes to to you know to Catholic church every Sunday or whatever. She does her stuff. She's a sweet woman. But I'll tell you what. You start saying anything against the Catholic Church. Oh, forget it. She'll become your worst enemy. That's what happens because those same demonic spirits that are deceiving them, what is the purpose of the demonic spirits deceiving them? So that they can bind these people up in false religion? And maybe through their influences they'll take other people to hell. Because my grandma's on her way to hell right now. That is the ultimate goal of all the demons and the fallen angels. They know where they're they're ended up going, and they want to take as many people to hell with them as possible. That's what this whole thing is all about. This world that we live in, it's a big spiritual battle. So, this goes on to say, touching on what Catholic News Service termed an ecumenical sore point... The document said some of the separated Christian communities, such as Protestant communities, should not be called churches. Because, see, that's what the Catholic Church says. The Protestant churches shouldn't be called churches. Now, I don't call myself a Protestant. Okay? I don't. Because I didn't... The the Protestants came out of the Catholic Church. Uh, There's another line of churches that came up through the Anabaptists, the Waldensians, these types of people, the Lombards, that were separately and distinct from the churches that came from the Protestant Reformation. So I don't call myself a Protestant. And if you have any questions on that, just email me. I'll get you the information. My email address is on the website that you're seeing. And it's also drjohnson, drjohnson at the letter I, the letter X, dot net com, dot com. Going a little bit further... Uh, it says they shouldn't be called these churches according to Catholic doctrine. Well, of course, according to Catholic doctrine. (laughs) Yeah, you're going to let the devil dictate to you and tell you what a church is? What a joke! (laughs) I mean, it's unbelievable. But they they don't consider them true churches, according to Catholic doctrine, because of the major differences over the ordained priesthood and the Eucharist. We're going to talk about one of those things today. We're going to talk about the Eucharist. Okay, today. We're going to look at, check that out. Now, the ordained priesthood. Oh, you mean your celibate, black-robed, pedophile priest that you've got roaming the whole world? Is this the priesthood you're talking about? As though they're so holy and pure? Why is it, then, that they're raping and in, 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 in doing all these things to all these kids? And there's all these lawsuits. again. There's just one, a huge lawsuit that was settled this week for in the... In the millions and millions and millions of dollars, the Catholic Church, why do we as a society allow this abominable, devil-sent cult to exist? That's all they are. They've killed all these people, mass-murdered millions over the years. They haven't changed. They're no different. They've just inst- reinstituted the office of the Inquisition, the same office that was, that, w- that was initiated back in the early 1500s, that started killing all these people all in the name of the Catholic God, because it's not the God of the Bible. But yet, society and the world allows this cult to exist. They, they don't have any right as far as I'm concerned. I mean, they're, they're straight from the pit of hell. I mean, the war, all the crimes they've committed against humanity... You know, I, I'm not telling people, okay, well, we, we as Christians have a right to decide, okay, who exists and who doesn't. But when you have an organization, I mean, if you have somebody that go out, goes out and commits mass murder, do they, do they allow that guy to just walk around society? No, they don't. They'll either lock him up or kill him in our society. Yet the Catholic Church, which is responsible for far more many deaths than Hitler was, Far more many deaths than just about any one individual dictator that you could ever imagine over the years. Yet they're allowed to have this office of preeminence. They don't deserve any honor. But our our world is so warped, we'll give them that. We'll let them, we'll let them go. And we'll let them say all these blasphemous statements. Goes on to say, the text was the latest chapter in a long simmering discussion on what Second Vatican Council intended when it stated that the church founded by Christ subsists in the Catholic Church. Show me that in the Bible. Please. The church founded by Christ subsists in the Catholic Church. No, it doesn't. The Catholic Church was founded essentially in 318 under under Roman Emperor Constantine who was the first pope. The only reason he did it is because they were killing all the Christians and they were finding out the more they killed them, the more the, the Christian religion uh, grew. So they finally said, well, listen, we're going to have this compromise at the Council of Trent and we're going to basically say, listen, you guys, all you pagans over there, all you witches and witches and, and, and warlocks and stuff, you come on over to us, and you Christians, you come on over, and what we're going to do is we're going to paganize, we're going to Christianize pagan holidays, and we're going to be one big happy family. That's what. That's how the Catholic Church basically came to being about. And then from that point on, they, they, they started instituting all these blasphemous things. Now I have a link that I'll be sending out in this email that will take you to the Catholic timeline on when all the things that the Catholic Church all these stupid wacky things they've come up with like the rosary like this Eucharist thing we're going to be talking about like holy water where's holy water in the Bible I just I can't find book, chapter, and verse you know all these crazy things that they do this gives you a timeline of when the men in the Catholic Church said well we're going to start doing this well I could start a religion right now. I'm going to go out and and I'm going to worship Barney or or, or Elmo on Sesame Street. I'll start my own cult. Does that mean it's valid or it's true or it's biblical? No. But that's what the Catholic Church did. Oh, yeah, we're going to do this. And what it was, it was more and more bondage they could put on their the people in the church. And it kept them in bondage and it kept them wrapped up in all this thinking about I've got to do this and I've got to do this to get to heaven and I've got to say this and do that. And what it did is by keeping them in bondage it never really allowed them to focus on anything other than the Catholic Church which is all by design. So this goes on to say the second, the second Vatican Council intended that it stated that the Church, founded by Christ, subsists in the Catholic Church, but that the elements of sanctification and truth are found outside the Catholic Church's visible confines. Elements of sanctification and truth are found outside. So they give us this crumb. The Catholic Church says, well, there are some elements of you guys in the Protestant fields of sanctification and truth sanctification, that word means to be made holy and set apart. Okay? So they, they gave us those crumbs. That was pretty nice of old Pope uh, Ratzinger, or, or whatever his name is, Benedict Arnold. Uh, I emphasize the rat in Ratzinger. You know, he, he was the guy that Pope John Paul appointed when Pope John Paul reinstituted the Office of Inquisition, which now it's called something different. It's called the Order of um, let me see here. The Congregation for the Doctrine of Faith. This is what the Office of Inquisition has been changed to. I think it's this is its third or fourth name change. But the Congregation for the Doctrine of Faith is the modern day Office for the Order of the Inquisition. It's been brought back. Did you know that? Pope John Paul II did it. And guess whom he made overseer of the whole thing? Our current Pope. This was a long time ago. So our current Pope is is at the head of this office of Inquisition and he wants to get the ball rolling again. He wants to get back to the old times. That old time Catholic religion faith where they're going and they're slaughtering they're massacred and they're killing again. You don't convert to us. Well, that's how it's probably going to be in the one world religion. You don't convert. What does the Bible say? If you're in that tribulation, what does the Bible say? Well, you either get your head chopped off or you take the mark of the beast. Take the mark of the beast, you don't have to get your head chopped off. You can buy and sell, but you're going to go to hell. There is there is no. Don't let anybody talk you into the fact that oh, I can take the mark of the beast. Hey, the left behind book said I could. Tim LaHaye said, I watched the movies. The Bible says if you take that mark, you're you're damned to hell forever. You're done. Don't take that chance. Don't believe what you need to search these things out in the Bible. You need to you need to you need to search out what I'm saying. I'm not telling you believe everything I'm saying either. Search it out. Be a good Berean, like the Bible said. The Bereans were more noble than those in Thessalonica because they sought these things out to see if they were so. In the Bible, they sought the Scriptures daily. So, moving on here, the Vatican released this. Uh, a text on July 10th titled, Responses to some questions regarding certain aspects of the doctrine of the church. End of quote. It was signed by U.S. Cardinal William Levada. I, I see they give a picture of this guy here. He's got his big gigantic cross on and his uh, you know Catholic garb and all this stuff. So this was uh, called the, the Prefect of the Congregation for the Doctrine of Faith and was approved by Pope Benedict before publication. Now, notice what I just said. I said, this is part of this this responses to some questions and certain aspects of the doctrine of the church. This was under the Prefect of the Congregation for the Doctrine of Faith. This is that same office of Inquisition that I just talked about. The release of the Vatican Doctrine comes just one week before the 50th anniversary of this Oberlin conference they keep making reference to for this NCC National Council of Churches. That began the process of the Roman Catholic Church's entrance into the modern ecumenical movement. Oh, isn't that special? That fi- so 50 years ago, the Roman Catholics made their entrance into the modern-day ecumenical universal church movement. See, they believe they are the universal church anyway. They just, they just are going to throw us... Protestants some crumbs and say, hey, listen, we're gonna let you guys come underneath our banner, but you gotta be good boys. You gotta play our game. We're still the we're still the top dog. We're the head cheese. We're the top banana. You're just you're you're just the little guys, okay? You came out of us, remember that. And they're right. Protestants did come out of this this whore. This whore this whore of the Catholic Church. So Basically, uh, that was what began the modern ecumenical movement of the Catholic Church, this Oberlin Conference, 50 years ago. The participation of the Catholic observers at the 1957 event is viewed by many as a scene setter for the Second Vatican Council. NCC's Faith and Order Commission traces its eventual birth to the Oberlin event. This must be the National Councils of Churches' wing Office that is trying to make bring reconciliation between the Catholic Church and the Protestants, Monsignor John. A. I, you know, I, I want to be called Monsignor from now on. I want a big title. I'm sick of just being Scott. Okay, yeah, I'm a doctor, but I want to. I want to be, be called Monsignor. Come on, why can't I be? I, I mean, I can't call myself Cardinal or Pope. I, I, that's way too over the top. No. But Monsignor, I mean, maybe I could pull that off. I don't know. Monsignor John Rodano of the Vatican Pontifical Council for Promoting Christian Unity. Oh, isn't that, isn't that a high and lofty office? I, don't you love that word pontifical? I mean, that's like a tongue twister. The, of the Vatican, Vatican Pontifical Council for Promoting Christian Unity. Wow! What an office. And a veteran... Participant in ecumenical events will present to engage participants in a dialogue on the meaning of the doctrine of the church. The theme of the conference is, quote, on being Christian together, the faith and order experience in the United States. Hmm, that's nice. Oberlin is the site of deep, deep significance for the faith and order commission of the National Council of Churches. Uh... Goes on. To, this is just drivel. Now you gotta understand. This whole article is from the National Council of Churches, so this is all of an abomination when I'm basically reading here. But I wanted to kind of read it straight from the horse's mouth. You re, you can't really accuse me of of twisting this because it's straight from their website. Okay, and I can get you this link if you email me. Uh, it says NCC President Archbishop Vicken of the American Church of America, Armenian Church of America, said, quote, We're looking forward with great interest to the realization of this important conference. It is important not only for our past, but also will be a mirror for the future of the church in the United States. Oh yes, it will be a mirror for the future church of the United States and the world. He knows that. The future church, what, what does that imply? That implies that if this if this conference is going to be a mirror for the future church of the United States, that implies that all the churches are going to have to be come forcibly underneath the Catholic Church. That's what it implies. The meeting will both celebrate the achievements of faith and order in the United States. Now, this, this is the Faith and Order Commission of the National Council of Churches. This is this particular branch and wing that is dedicated, it seems, to building this rapport with Protestants and Catholics. Um, we'll celebrate the achievements of the faith and order in the United States and explore the ecumenical significance of Oberlin as a place combining repentance, combining repentance for the continuing disunity, with joyful worship in response to the unity. Beli- now, that, that, I just let's read this again. This meeting is going to celebrate all these things. What's one thing it's going to celebrate? The, the combination, and it's going to combine repentance for the continuing gi- disunity. What does that mean? That means that we're going to—they're going to they're gonna go to this meeting and they're going to repent for this disunity that the Catholics and the Protestants have had. This big, big misunderstanding ever since Martin Luther nailed the 95 theses on the on the church door. We're gonna—we're gonna, you know, we're sorry. That we've had all this disunity between us. Because we should have been unified. And we're going to even repent for this. And then they're going to be joyfully worshipping in response to the unity the church has already experienced in Jesus Christ. And it's just the fact that they bring Jesus Christ into this that makes me, I think, the maddest. How dare they, they, they bring the name of Jesus Christ into this Abomination! This blasphemy, this stench in God's nostrils. <sighs> Biblically speaking, they have no justification for what they're doing. Then, focused on the theme on being Christian together, the faith and order experience in the United States, the commission will mark a half century of Christian communities working to strengthen the unity of the church by engaging one another through dialogue and research on the theological differences that divide our churches. Since the meeting in Oberlin in 1957, the Commission has worked tirelessly to advance ecumenicism, meaning the idea of a universal church. Basically, what it is is the idea of a one-world universal church, which the Bible said we were going to have during the Antichrist time. And to discover new ways to state the core truths of the Christian faith together. can't have this. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what communion hath Christ with Belial? Who's Belial? The devil. Can't have it. One session entitled New Horizons for Christian Unity has been planned to highlight the voices of younger theologians as they prepare to enter the Christian Unity Movement. Wow, that's a movement I didn't even really know about. The Christian Unity Movement? Sure. Come one, come all. Bring all your abominations to the table. We don't care. We won't judge you. We don't care if you're going to go by the Quran or the Bible. Whatever. Let's just be one big happy apostate family. That's all that matters. We're all going to hell in a handbasket. Come and join us. This is basically what they're saying. Other sessions during the four day conference will include faith and order in a postmodern world, issues facing ecumenism, and faith and order in the context of religious plurality. Now, um, Lunette, I already got you a, a, your plane flight. I, I, I bought you your tickets for this conference, so. I figured you'd want to go check it out, you know, maybe see how it's going. Anyway, so I said that we were going to talk about one thing that they mentioned. One of the one of the one of the main things that they say the Catholics were saying here, or the Pope, um, is that basically one of the main reasons they say that Protestant churches aren't real churches is because of. What they believe about the Eucharist. Now a lot of people don't even know what the Eucharist means unless you're Catholic you might not even really fully understand what that means. basically when when a Christian talks about the Lord's Supper, this is what the Catholics have twisted the Lord's Supper into the Eucharist and that's what we're going to talk about today. I found this article online it was it's entitled Pagan Sun Worship and Catholicism. The monstrance and the way for God. Now bear something in mind. I'm only talking about one little tenet of the Catholic church today. Just one. This is just the tip of the iceberg. Exodus 24 says, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Verse 5, Thou shalt not bow thyself to them, nor serve them. That's the second commandment. Okay? Second commandment. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. Hmm. Or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or on earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow thyself down before them, nor serve them. Hmm. Acts 19.26 says, Moreover ye see and hear... That not alone at Ephesus, but almost throughout all Asia, that Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people, saying that they be no gods which are made with hands. See, they, they, the idolatry is condemned in the Bible. Totally, totally condemned. Note that the commandment of God forbids making and bowing down images. Among pagans, perhaps the most common form of idolatry is sun worship. Now this is going way back to the Babylonian mystery religions. Sun worship is probably the most um, common form of idolatry among pagans. And above the, the above prohibition in regard to the Bible verses I just read would clearly exclude bowing down before images of the sun or the moon. Things in heaven above... In this case, but then God gets even more explicit. Deuteronomy 17:2 says, "If there be found any among you, within any of the gates which the Lord thy God giveth thee, man or woman, that hath wrought wickedness in the sight of the Lord thy God, and transgressing his covenant, and hath gone and served other gods, and worshipped them, either the sun, or moon, or any host of heaven, which I have not commanded." Now you understand what they're saying there? That means worshiping the sun, the moon, or anything in the heavens. Worshiping them. Verse 4, Deuteronomy 174 says, And it be told thee, and thou hast heard heard of it, and inquired diligently, and beheld it to be true. Now this means you don't just You just don't receive an accusation against somebody rightly. You you, you search the thing out. You, you see if it's actually factual. You don't just condemn somebody unless you've searched the matter out. Okay. But if this thing be true, and, and this thing be certain that such an abomination is wrought in Israel, then shalt thou bring forth that man or that woman which have committed that wicked thing in, unto thy gates, even that man and that woman. Thou shalt stone him with stones till they die. So this was a crime in God's eyes in the in the Old Testament punishable by death. Of, by stoning. That's how serious this was if you worshipped anything that in the heavens or, or it, it didn't matter if it was on earth. In the heaven, if it was not of God any graven image you had made it was punishable by death. That's how serious this was. Now I'm not saying we should find people that are doing this now and go and stone them. This is an Old Testament covenant but do you think it's still not grievous in God's eyes? Or is there any less grievous? The Bible says, "God, I am God, therefore I change it not. He's the same today, yesterday, and forever. He doesn't change, okay? It's still just as grievous. Well, this is all the Catholics do. It's all they do. We're going to talk about this more in depth. Unbelievable how they justify and what they've done to get away with it. I'm looking at a picture here of Pope John Paul II holding what is called a monstrance or ostensorinium. They always have to have these high and lofty titles and words for everything that they do, you know. I guess it makes them feel more religious, you know. It is used to display a round wafer of bread huh? called the host or the Eucharist. Which is used in what is called the Mass The Lord's Supper Communion Don't even call this the Lord's Supper Please It's not the Lord's Supper Because that's biblically what, we're, what we talk about When we talk about, you know that, that thing What the Catholics have done Like they've done with every Christian tradition Or anything in the Bible Is they've twisted it Or they've just put stuff in them that's not even in the Bible That's what they usually do Catholic believes, this is called the Eucharistic meal as well, the Catholic believes this wafer of bread listen to this, they believe this wafer of bread turns into the actual body of Christ when it is consecrated during Mass did you know that? they believe, the Catholics believe that when you take the Eucharist you go up there and and the priest puts it in your mouth and it's this little wafer thin piece of bread just melts in your mouth They believe that when the priest has the power to call, has this heavenly power, that he could actually, through the doctrine of transubstantiation, this is what they call it, to actually change this Eucharistic host into the actual and literal body of Jesus Christ. They believe they can do the same thing to the wine, they believe that they can change the wine into the actual, literal blood of Jesus Christ. I don't mean this in a figurative sense. I mean this in a real sense. It's called the doctrine of transubstantiation. And we'll, we'll, we'll go into this further. The Roman Catholic Church even admits the monstrance to be a sunburst. Now, in this picture, it shows this, this Eucharist, this wafer. In this, um, this, this thing the Pope's holding, it's the sunburst thing. It looks like a sun. It's this gold thing. And the Eucharist is in the middle. They worship this thing. Okay? The Catholic Church made a statement. Uh, this is from the Dictionary of Liturgy. These are all Catholic things I'm quoting here. During the Baroque period, it took it on a rayed form of a sun monstrance with a circular window surrounded by silver and gold frames with rays. This is the... this, is the, um, this monstrance that, that holds this wafer. Where do you want to see it? Okay, so let's go. Um, you, you might say, "Oh, come on! This can't be true." Well, I, I, let, let, let's go into this. Just I'm going to veer off here for a second, and actually, I'm not veering off, but we're just confirming this. This is an article that Battle Cry put out. Chick Publications. They put the tracks out, and it was entitled "Pope Promotes 24-Hour Worship of Wafer God." Did you know this? Yeah. In many, this was back in 96. This article was written in 1996. In many countries, especially in the Americas, devotion of the Roman Catholics to their church is increasingly ragged. What is Pope John Paul's solution? Round-the-clock worship of the way for God. They're worshiping this stinking piece of bread in a in a in a thing. Now I wouldn't say that if it was the Lord's Supper, but what everything that they do, I believe, is just cursed. Okay? So their Eucharist is an abomination in the sight of God. And they're promoting round the clock worship of the way for God. Oh yeah, that's great. In his receptor Hominis encyclia like I said they've always got to have these really high and lofty terms which is a special letter to all the churches he urges the church leaders to make adoration of the wafer the center of all church life this is how important this is to them They're above all else they've got to worship the wafer God what do they do if they don't have a eucharist on They like worship a loaf of bread I mean I don't know what are they doing they get pita bread, or do they get? Where do they get rye? Uh, I don't know. Anyway, in a response, many churches are asking their parishioners to join a 24-hour a day vigil before the Blessed Sacrament. Special Roman Catholic missionaries are touring the U.S. Catholic churches, establishing chapels of perpetual adoration of the communion wafer. <laughs> This is this is like you you can't even conceive of this. They're they're, they're going around. They're four seven. Somebody is in these perpetual chapels of adoration, worshiping this wafer. That's sad. That that is you got to be seriously delusional to be doing this stuff. They claim to have approximately a thousand such chapels in operation. A thousand of these. And that was in 96, who knows what it is now. Perpetual adoration is simply a way of making Jesus the center of of life of the people of God as the Holy Father has exhorted us. That's what these devils say. That's what the old, uh, this comes from a priest, Martin Lucia. He says perpetual adoration is simply a way of making Jesus the center of life of the people. Because, see, they believe that that little way for God is Jesus. The priest has that power to actually change that wafer into the literal body of Jesus Christ. That's what they believe. What an abomination from the pit of hell. But this is a strange Jesus. Few Protestants realize that the Roman Catholic Jesus is not the Jesus of the Bible. Their Jesus is a round wafer made of wheat flour that has to be blessed by an ordained Roman priest and magically turn into the real presence of Jesus. By this... They mean that the wafer, along with the wine, becomes, according to the Council of Trent, the body and the blood together with the soul and the divinity of the Lord Jesus Christ. After the consecration of the wheat wafer by the official priest, the Council declares, quote, there is a change of the whole substance of the bread and the body, and the whole substance of the wine and the blood, and this change the Catholic Church calls transubstantiation. Okay, now this is a reiteration of what I've kind of already said. Protestants are so accustomed to the simple logic that the elements are symbols of the covenant of the cross that it is hard for them to believe otherwise. It looks like a wafer, it smells like a wafer, it tastes like a wafer, but the Pope says it's Jesus. And he expects a billion people to believe him. Further investigation reveals a diabolical bondage constructed around this head game. That's what This is what it's all about. This is what man-made religion is all about. A diabolical bondage and a head game to get you to believe a lie and to pull you into bondage, to pull you into something that the Bible never even commanded. If this wafer is really Jesus, think about this. I hadn't thought about it this once I read this. If this wafer is really Jesus... Then I cannot talk to him just anywhere. I have to go to where he is. Where would that be? The Catholic Church. And the Pope's priests are taught to keep him under tight control. As as though the priest could keep Jesus Christ under control. He must be kept in a special box or displayed in a special stand called a monstrance, which is what we showed you here with the sunburst, in the church, and then there I must go to meet him. Is, is that insane or asinine? But that's what they do. You got to go there to to, to meet with you. See, they don't believe you can go to Jesus Christ. You've got to go through Mary to get to Jesus Christ because, see, Mary was his mom, and you know she's the only one that can appease Jesus because he's kind of angry about all of our sin. So we've got to go through Mary in order to get to Jesus. This is how Catholics are taught. They're taught that you have to go through Mary to get to Jesus. Because who would know better how to calm down Jesus than his own mother? But that's what they teach. They teach it in the Boston Catechism. I've seen the picture where it showed Jesus, this is what they teach to them, to the children in the catechism, showed Jesus on this throne. He was real mad, he was like this, but then it had Mary next to him trying to appease him. So now they call Mary the co-redemptrix. Because see, you gotta go through Mary to get to Jesus, and that's how you gotta get that's the only way you can get to Jesus. She's the co-redemptrix. The Bible says there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. There's not two. There's not a co-redemptrix. There's not Mary. Mary's saved and in heaven. She has nothing to do with your salvation. Nothing. At this point. Other than the biblical story of she was Jesus was born of a virgin. But you don't go through Mary in order to get saved. But that's what the Catholics teach. And that's what all the Marian apparitions are saying too. She's saying, Oh, you have to come through me. She's saying you have to come through me. She's not there's some, some of these apparitions that are saying you don't even have to go through Jesus at this point. It's through Mary. You've got to go through Mary. So we go further and it says, But to get to, to get to this Jesus, I must have the help of a priest. He must first take the wheat wafer and magically consecrate it using some mysterious Latin words. Then if I want to receive Jesus, I must stick my tongue out with the priest place Jesus on my tongue. If I chew it and swallow it, does this make me a cannibal? And the Pope also says that if I do not do this frequently, the Pope says this now, okay? The Pope says that if I don't do this frequently, my chances of going to heaven when I die are zero. Because, see, in the Catholic cult, it's all about works. It's all about what you do. But the Bible says, not by works of righteousness are we saved. But according to his mercy he saved us. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. So, then it says, is this what Jesus really meant when he said, if the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed? Did he really intend for the people, for the Pope and the priest to have that kind of control over my eternal destiny? Is not Jesus Christ himself the only priest I need? That was the end of that battle cry article. But going back to this, this article on the uh, the way for God, we see another picture. I've seen another picture here, and it says the priest here in, in this instance is Pope John Paul II. Sometimes holds up the sunburst monstrance with the host in case for the congregation to adore and venerate. Virtually any time the monstrance, a pagan sun symbol, is viewed by the congregation, they kneel in submission. A Catholic cannot walk past this sun symbol without acknowledging it by kneeling or making the sign of the cross with their hands. So they they have to they have to every time they go by this wheat wafer, this Catholic communion host, they got to kneel and genuflect and adore it and all these other things. But, the, but doesn't the Bible say? thou shalt not make any any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or in the earth beneath or in the water and this thing is in the sun burst monstrance as in the shape of a sun like worshipping the sun god and then it says thou shalt not bow thyself down to them nor serve them but that's what the Catholics are doing Remember God's commandment forbidding bowing down to images? How can the Catholics justify bowing down before the image? In veneration, they will tell you that they are paying homage to the host. Bread, they believe, that has actually been turned into the actual body and the blood of Jesus after being consecrated by a priest. Since the wafer, they believe, has been transformed into God himself, it is the round wafer God inside the sunburst monstrance that they bow down to in worship. Not the sunburst monstrance whatever semantics at this point however the round wafer of bread itself is, is also a sun symbol because it's round and it's within the sun and the sun burst the rays of the sun are emanating from this catholic communion eucharist so it is a symbol of the sun which again was the largest pagan thing that uh, the pagans worshipped since antiquity However, the round wafer of bread itself is also a sun symbol which, sometimes made, which is sometimes made quite obvious in Catholic representations of the host in various forms of artwork. Well, it's very obvious that it is a symbol for the sun. There's a a picture I'm looking at here of this woman praying. And she's got this monstrance above her with the Catholic communion host and the sun rays emanating out. And then she's got two little cherubim boy angels with their little wings overlooking it as though they're so happy. Which is also an abomination from the pit of hell. Show me any time in the Bible where you see these little um, angelic boy angels with wings... That are, that are going around and, and helping people like Cupid or something. It's not anywhere in the Bible. Anywhere. What? I don't have it. So, and then, and then next to them, underneath them, you have two women angels with wings, which totally are not in the Bible anywhere either. And if you have any doubts about what is a, what does a true biblical angel look like, email me, I'll get you the... Um, they always appear as men in the Bible. Every single time they ever appeared on earth, they appeared as, from what I could gather, handsome men. They did not appear as women. They did not appear as little boys. Not once did they ever appear with wings. Not once did they ever appear with a halo. Do you know what a halo is? A halo is an Egyptian sun disk, which is symbolic of sun worship. There's nothing holy about a halo. I could do a teaching, and and that would be what I would entitle it. There's nothing holy about a halo. Sorry. Anyway, so yeah, all these these things in the new age now, you see, of all these little cute little cherub little boys with their little wings, or girl angels, or, or, or women angels with wings, that's all an abomination straight from the pit of hell. It is. Okay, no place in the Bible is... Oh, hold on, I was wrong. There is one place in the Bible that it talks about women angels with wings. Huh. Okay, so so let's just go to this real quick. I'm just going to touch on this. Zechariah chapter 5, starting in verse 5, it says, Then the angel that talked with me went forth and said unto me, Lift up now thine eyes and see... What is this that goeth forth? So he's saying to Zechariah, this angel, lift up your eyes and look at what I'm going to show you. Okay, essentially. Verse 6, and I said, what is it? And he said, it is an ephah that goeth forth. He said, moreover, there is a resemblance throughout all the earth. Verse 7, and behold, now this is one of the things he's telling him to look at here. He says, and behold, there lifted up a talent of lead, And this is a woman that sitteth in the midst of the ephah. A woman that sits in the midst of an ephah. Verse 8. The angel said... Okay, I added that in there, but this is what the angel said. And he said, the angel, This is wickedness. And he cast it into the midst of the ephah, and he cast the weight of lead upon the mouth thereof. Then I lifted up mine eyes, and looked. And behold, there came out two women... And wind was in their wings. For they had the wi- they had wings like the wings of a stork. Now what is a stork? A stork is an unclean bird listed in the Bible. He's already said this is wickedness. And it's a woman with wings. Two of them. And they lifted up the ephah between the earth and the heaven. I'm uh, just kind of looking here. The woman in a bad ethical sense is is a symbol of that which religiously is normally something that's out of place. When you have them in, in something like this. The woman in Matthew 13.33 is dealing with doctrine, a spear forbidden to her as, as far as teaching and preaching and these types of things. Oh, but you wouldn't know that anymore. You got Joyce Myers you got all these women preachers out there. God called women preachers, right? No, I don't think so. God didn't call them. Why? How do you know that? Because it would be a contradiction to the Bible. God doesn't call women to be preachers. But see, in Matthew 13.33, it's dealing with... with, um, uh, The woman in that thing is dealing with doctrine, which is a spirit that's forbidden to her, according to 1 Timothy 2.12. In Thyatira, a woman is suffered... uh, not to teach, Revelation 2:20. The Babylonian phrase of the apostate church is symbolized by an unchaste woman, sodden with the greed and luxury of commercialism. And you can confirm that in Revelation 17:1 through 6, Revelation 18:3, 18, 18:3 3, 18, 3, and 11 through 20. So again, this isn't because I'm trying to be a chauvinistic pig here. I'm just talking about from a biblical standpoint in this context, okay? This is no knock against women. Okay? But everybody has their function and their office in the body of Christ. Okay? And women are permitted to do some things or they're, they're called to do some things that men are not called to and men are likewise, okay? I'm going to be doing a whole study on that in the near future. So, moving on with this article. Now, now, How do the Catholics get away with this? How do the Catholics I mean if the Second Commandment says thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or bow down to it, okay, and that's a paraphrase, but if the second commandment says that, how do the Catholics justify all their graven images? I mean, they're not just bowing down to the Eucharist, they got they got this is big business for them. They've got they've got whole factories where they make statues of Mary, statues of Paul, Peter, who knows? I mean, you go to any good Catholic's house; they'll have, oh, there's Saint Jerome or whoever they've got. Oh, he's he's the he's the saint of um, of um, hangnails, and this is the saint of um, you know toe fungus. I, I don't know. I mean, they've got all these saints for all these different things. Anything goes, you know. Oh, they call him the patron saint, the patron saint of children, the patron saint of and it's, it's ridiculous none of it's in the Bible they just make this stuff up as they go which is really what the Catholic Church has done and they've got all these idols they worship well that's big business that's money which is what it always usually boils down to well doesn't the Bible say the love of money is the root of all evil well I'm looking right here at the Ten Commandments and the Second Commandment says thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or bow down and serve it okay but hold on. Did you realize this, the Catholics have their own Ten Commandments? Oh yeah, they got their own Ten Commandments. Guess what, which one they removed. <laughs> they removed one of the Ten Commandments, the Catholics. Oh yeah. Well, okay. Well, how do they do that? Well, what does their Second Commandment say? Here, I'll read you their Second Commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Well, hold on. That's the Third Commandment. Oh Yeah. Right, but see, they removed the second one, and guess what they did? They split the Tenth Commandment into two. They really did. I've got this, I mean, this is straight from a Catholic website. I got this from. The Ninth Commandment, now our Tenth Commandment is, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, nor his wife, nor anything that belongs to him. Okay, this is essentially like, kind of like a paraphrase. But what they've done is they've split that commandment into the Ninth and Tenth Commandments. To make up for the one they took out, so their ninth and tenth commandments are: you shall not cover your neighbor's wife, and then the tenth one is: you shall not cover your your neighbor's goods. <laughs> so they split it up. They split the tenth commandment too. That way, everybody comes out small like a rose, right? You know, hey. But that's that's how they justify it. I love exposing them. I really do. You know, they may end up killing me someday. They may end up doing that. They, they they may end up appointing me, whatever. But you know something? I, I want to go down swinging. I really do. I really want to go down swinging. I want to expose them. I want to expose evil to my dying. I mean, that's what I believe I'm called to do, to do. As a watchman, which is what I believe, if I had any kind of calling on my life, it would be a watchman. And they need to be exposed. We need to... Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. And when you reprove something, it is made manifest in the light. We're shedding light on these things. Okay? We're marking them which cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned. We are being spiritual because the Bible says he was spiritual judgeth all things. Oh, we can't judge well the Bible says he was spiritual judgeth all things. The kind of judging that the Bible was talking about in regard to judge not lest ye be judged is hypocritical judgment. If I have a beam in my own eye and I'm trying to look at the speck in yours, I don't have any right to judge you then. It's true. But you see, this is why study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. This is what the Bible's, why the Bible says to do this. You have to rightly divide the word of God. So we go a little bit further in this article and it says, now this is from the Catholic Encyclopedia on the subjects of the Monstrum. We're, we're looking at here um, a symbol that they also use associated with this Eucharist. And it's the symbol of the sunburst, and in the center of it, it has these letters called IHS. Which also is a symbol of the Eucharist. This design has been adopted by the Jesuits as their symbol. Now, the Jesuits are some, one of the most wicked branches of the Catholic churches. The Jesuits are like their, you know, super spy... Guys that go out and infiltrate and try to destroy other uh, parts of Christianity or anything that will be a threat to the Catholic Church, and 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 it doesn't matter what tactics they use because any tactic is justified for a Jesuit. Murder doesn't matter, torture doesn't matter, as long as they're doing it in the name of the Catholic Church, they're basically commissioned to go out and do about anything. That's a whole other study, but. The IHS is thought by some to represent the first letters of each word of the Latin phrase. Now this is thought by some to represent the Latin phrase Isis Hominum salvator, which means Jesus, Savior of men. Although according to Catholics themselves, they actually represent the first three letters of the name Jesus in the Greek. Spelled in the Greek, I can't even read all these Greek letters. But the pagans, if you were a pagan, would quickly see the same sun disk symbol associated with many pagan deities of Egypt. Among them is Isis, Horus, and Seb. In Egyptian mythology, Seb was the father of the goddess Isis, who was the mother and protectors of her divine son, Horus. This is where we get Nimrod, Semiramis, and Tammuz. Nimrod being the father, Semiramis being the mother, Tammuz being the sun. This is where we get these pagan deities and it started back in Babylon essentially with, with, with Nimrod, Semiramis and Tammuz. Well what happened is, is through the years these other pagan religions just adopted these things they just changed the names. That's all they've ever done. They just repackaged this witchcraft and this paganism in some other form that was more suitable to their culture. That's all, that's all we're talking about here. So, Horus is frequently depicted on Egyptian temples as a winged sun disk. Now, Horus would be symbolic of the sun, okay? Not only the sun, like the sun up in the sky, but also the sun of the father and the mother, okay? So, Horus is represented by a winged sun disk representing the rays of the rising sun. Now, you look at this... You see this all along these... I mean, even in... I was in a Lutheran church recently, and I looked up and they had the same symbol on their, uh... on their, uh... I forget exactly where it was at, but it says IHS. Isis, Horus, and Seb. That's what it stands for. Okay? At the left... and Now, they show this little statue here. Now, I can get you... If you email me, I'll get you the link to this... Um article here so you can go look at all these pictures yourself at the left is a statuette of the Egyptian goddess Isis her head shows this sun disc with the horns of the apis bull symbology which is virtually identical to that of the sunburst monstrance what they're trying to do is just show that this is just pure paganism witchcraft repackaged that's all the Catholics have done they've just taken paganism they repackaged it in this one image you have the symbology because she's holding this little baby you have the symbology of the Catholic monstrance of the mother and the child worship which is so prominent in Catholicism. You always see Mary with little baby Jesus. You know, That's, that comes from paganism, okay? Um, yes, Mary was the was a virgin, conceived you know, of a virgin by the Holy Ghost and she had Jesus Christ. But we're not supposed to set up those images and worship them. That's what the Catholics do. They'll have Mary with Jesus and you know, baby Jesus, or either you'll see him as baby Jesus, or you'll always see him on the cross. Because they always want to keep him on the cross. They want to keep him crucified at all times, because that way he seems more vulnerable, and maybe he seems I don't know. But see, he's not on the cross anymore. He's seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, he ever maketh intercession for the saints. He's not on the cross anymore. But see, they want to keep him there. Because they want to keep Jesus in their own mind as vulnerable as possible. They want to have Him in their their way for God. They want to have Him as a baby. They want to have Him on the cross. They don't want to have Him as their judge. I guarantee you on that. They don't want to have that. But that's exactly what's going to happen. The worst nightmares are going to come true. They're going to plunge into hell. And when they face God at the great white throne judgment, because they're not going to the judgment seat of Christ, because that's for believers, they're going to be without excuse. They did not search out, even from a Catholic Bible, you can find these things out. The American Standard Version is the Bible that they use. And even from an American Standard Version, if they would just read their Bible... They could find this out. Now, it would obviously be better if they read a King James, but... You know, you can get saved out of an NIV. I did. I got saved out of an NIV. Doesn't mean it's ideal, but it can be done. There's still enough gospel in these... Bi- now, there's some There's some versions that have come out, like the inclusive version, where they refer to Jesus as the One. You can't even get saved out of a Bible like that. But see, that's where it's all coming to. You're going to have Bibles that are so watered down you can't even get the gospel out of them. But see, that's, that's the goal of Satan. God said in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 it said that God would send a strong delusion that they would believe a lie that they might all be damned who receive not the love of the truth. It's that important what truth you're embracing. So we go further. The Egyptian pharaoh also claimed to be the embodiment of Horus on earth much like the pope claims to be the infallible vicar of Christ on earth. You know what the word vicar means? He claims to be the vicar means substitute. The Pope claims to be the substitute for Jesus Christ on earth. And he also claims to be infallible, which means he can't sin. (laughs) So he can say and do whatever he wants. I'm above all of this. I am the Pope. And again, I had mentioned before, the, the Vatican's coming out with a new toiletry line. I don't know if you heard about this. Their inaugural flagship product is going to be the Pope on a rope. Yeah, they're going to... Toiletry stuff, you know. Yeah, sorry. Anyway, um, I, I have to inj- interject levity into this. little humor. Um, so, here, we look at... Um, I'm looking here at one of these, these Eucharistic hosts as Catholics call it, It has actually been made a sunburst. Note the flames around the edge. The sun symbol after the consecration is called the true body of God to be adored and bowed down to and worshipped to by the laity, especially when displayed inside a sunburst monstrance, which kind of gives it that, you know, added pizzazz that you're after. Now, I'm looking at here is a pagan Canaanite cultic pillar found in excavations from the city of Hatzor showing, what it's showing is, are some hands raised in praise to the sun disc Okay, it's on the stone tablet the, the sun disc is portrayed within a crescent moon going to get back to that in a second now I'm looking at here the cover of the January February 2000 edition of Envoy Magazine which is a Catholic publication, an elevated consecrated host of the Eucharist is unmistakably depicted as a bright yellow sun disk against the background of a cloudy blue sky. So they've got this, it's this picture of these hands holding this Eucharist with the sky as the background and then what it has is G on one side and D on the other. So it's got, it looks like God because it's got a round disk between the G and the D, so it looks like God. And it's against the sky. Well, what would that imply? That it's the sun. Because this round disk is it. And then it's. Because, see, they worship this as God. Then we look a little bit further, and we have the Pope, the picture of the Pope, celebrating Mass, elevating a large host for adoration. So he's elevating this host as, you know, this thing that they're supposed to worship. Do you think this is what Jesus had in mind for the Last Supper? No. When He broke bread, He handed, he had handed it to His disciples a torn fragment of unleavened bread that symbolized His sinless broken body on the cross. But this is not what is conveyed with a pressed, round, intact, and unbroken wafer that has been... Oh, I cut that last part off here. I guess. Sorry. Anyway. um, But you get the point. You you get the picture of what we're dealing with here. Now, I got this next part. I went to a Catholic website and I found this. Eucharistic miracle. Finally, I've, I've, I've seen the light, Nonetta. I've finally seen the light. I've been wrong all along, I guess. Because... Did you realize that there was a Eucharistic miracle in Lacinio, Italy, in the 8th century? Well, let me, let me tell you about it. In a little church in St. Legia Thionin, Legion Thion, a Basilican monk was having doubts about the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist, as he should, because Christ doesn't live in a way for a bread. During the Mass, after the twofold consecration... The host was changed into live flesh and the wine was changed into live blood. The host flesh can still be seen today. It is a light brown and appears rose. Rose colored when lighted from the back. The blood is coagulated and has an earthly color resembling the yellow of okir, whatever that is. Scientific investigators have taken scientific investigations have taken place since 1574 here are some of their conclusions the flesh is real flesh the blood is real blood because they've done evidently scientific analysis it even shows a picture of this thing it looks disgusting the flesh consists of the muscular tissue of a heart the flesh and the blood have AB blood type (laughs) <laughs> the same blood type found on the Shroud of Turin. <laughs> now, please, we we've already d- debunked the Shroud of Turin—that that is a total fake, fraud, lie from the pit of hell. So many ways you can prove the Shroud of Turin is a fake and a lie. I have a whole sermon I've done on this. You can research my on on the internet on that web on the Sermons Audio website. But yeah, yeah, they've they've done all these studies, and but didn't the Bible say that when? The Antichrist came, he would come with all lines, signs, and wonders. And then if it were possible, even the very elect would be deceived? Huh. Maybe we should be on the lookout for that. I mean, the Catholics have all these these relics that they worship and they adore. Do you realize that according to what the Catholics do, in I believe it's in the pulpit or or, or in the foundation or of every single Catholic church worldwide, there is some type of relic buried within either the pulpit or the foundation of that building. It's, you know, their little way of cursing the ground and, you know, bringing that abomination into these places. You know, they want to make sure that they're going to curse it, and they're going to curse it good. But yeah, this this has the, the same blood type as the Shroud of Turin. Give me a break. <laughs> uh, there's really no best blood type, um... There's, it's one of the rarest. A-B negative is the rarest. Okay, so going along, uh, this is from this, this website. And they're showing this picture of this, this Eucharistic, the wine in the Eucharist. It says, On the above left you can see the pagan sunburst way for God, inscribed with the IHS, Isis horse Seb, and is portrayed above the cup of wine. This is a door to a place where the wine and the wafers are stored. See, they got to store these these Eucharist that they they do. So this is, they always have these symbolic things. And then above on the right, you see a similar carving depicting angels. Now these are angels with the Egyptian sun disks, the halos, and and men angels with wings. And I think it looks like even it might be a woman angel. And these angels are depicted kneeling in idolatrous, idolatrous adoration or worship of the way for God and the wine. I mean, hey, if it's good enough for the angels, isn't it good enough for us? That's what they're trying to portray. In case you think the word worship is an exaggeration, please note the paragraph from the New Vatican Catechism of the Catholic Church. Quote, the worship of the Eucharist. In the liturgy of the Mass, we express our faith in the real and presence of Christ under the species of the bread and wine, among other ways, genuflecting or bowing deeply as a sign of adoration to the Lord. Again, show me this anywhere in the Bible that we're supposed to do this. The Catholic Church has always offered and still offers to the sacrament of the Eucharist the cult of adoration. They're even admitting it's a cult. This, this, when you, evidently, when you're really, really into the Eucharist and worshiping it, it's called the cult of adoration, the sacrament of the Eucharist, not only during Mass, but also outside it. Reserving the consecrated host with the utmost care, exposing them to the solemn veneration of the faithful, and carrying them in procession, basically to be worshiped. This is insane! But that's what they do, that's what they're into. We're going to conclude here on this part. So the Catholic Church describes itself in documents as engaged in the act of worshiping the Eucharist, which is also the adoration or veneration. Isn't it amazing how the Catholic Church justifies bowing down images of the sun, as depicted by the monstrance and the round wafer, by claiming the bread has actually become God? God's commandment is cleverly made of no effect by the traditions of men, by mixing truth and error. Now, they show these pictures of these coins that were used for ten years um, from 19... well, the first set was used from 1958 uh, evidently to 1968 and these were issued by by the Vatican. And on one of the backs of the coins, actually on the back of all the coins, it shows this woman It's on the back of these coins. Credibly enough, the woman expressing faith in the Catholic Church on the reverse side of the coins holds a cup in her right hand in which you will see the pagan sunburst wafer God which which recalls these verses in Revelation. Revelation 17.4 And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. For all the nation, for all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the king of kings of the earth and have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. The cup of wine of the apostate woman represents the spiritual and doctrinal fornication, a mixing of truth and error, Christian and pagan, which she has taught to the world and made the nations drunk. Revelation 17.5 And upon her forehead was the name written Mystery Babylon the Great The Mother of harlots and the Abominations of the Earth I mean I would say this sums up the Catholic horror really well I really do There is only one self-proclaimed Mother Church The Universal Catholic Church as they say Revelation 18.4 And I heard another voice from heaven saying Come out of her my people That ye be not partakers of her sins And that ye receive not of her plagues This is what we want if you're a Catholic, listen to this, you've got to get out of that. Okay? Whatever way you've got, you get out. And if you need any more confirmation of anything I've went over today, if you need a clear gospel presentation on how you get saved, just please email me, and I will get you all of this information you need. Revelation 18.5, For her sins have reached unto heaven, and God hath remembered her iniquities. So, that's... Um, That's our teaching on on that. And I'm going to go ahead and end this part, and we'll go to the second part B in a few minutes.